0: Hello, and welcome to the Stoked on Spokes podcast. The Stoked
1: on Spokes podcast. The Stoked on Spokes podcast. The Stoked on Spokes podcast. Wait, like SOS? Well, it's about fight, ride, gear, races, community, and so much more. This is the Stoked on Spokes podcast. Let's get rolling.
0: Hello, and welcome to the 17th episode of the Stoked On Spokes podcast. Today, I am joined with J.B. Hancock and Doug Kniper from the Michigan cycling scene. Gentlemen, how are you today? Doing great.
1: Doing well, thank you.
0: So, can you guys give me your introductions and uh, your bicycle background?
1: Go for it, Doug. I'm Douglas Nieper, and I have been falling off bikes for close to five decades now. Falling off bikes,
2: that's a good one. I like that.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty apt description of what I do. <laughs> I'm JB
2: Hancock, former race promoter for the Alma Grand Prix. I haven't been falling off my bikes as, quite as long as, as Doug, but I guess more than two decades now. And primarily interested in cyclocross, but we live in Alma, and so there's a lot of bike commuting options, and now kind of involve my family with that, so that's been fun. And I guess even just more recently, since you know, making the shift away from the Alma Grand Prix, I'm trying to, like myself, get a little bit back into racing and a little less of uh, time mowing the lawn and t- talking to sponsors and all the other fun things that go on with putting out a bike race. So that's the brief
0: one. So could you tell me, guys, about your friendships? How you, how did you guys meet?
1: We met through the Alma Grand Prix, and I want to say, like, the first year I did it was 2015. JB's r- was really good about, like, Communicating with racers and saying hi to people, just even if he didn't know who they were, he was able to just, you know, go around the venue and just make himself, his presence known and make people feel invited. And I didn't really know him at that point, but then the next year in 2016, he would put on each year some cyclocross clinics before you call them Monday fun days they were always on Monday and Monday (laughs) and it was a fun day (laughs) so leading up to the Alma Grand Prix which was the kickoff of the the Michigan cyclocross season and that's pretty much how we got to know each other was that in 2016 just the Monday fun days just I you know I learned a lot from him just about how to you know what to do in cyclocross and just how to better myself. And as I came in as, you know, mid forties, not knowing anything about cyclocross at all. I originally saw a post on Facebook that a friend of mine had liked. It was Beth Pellerito likes the Alma Grand Prix of cyclocross. And I was like, what's that? I, I kind of was aware of cyclocross, you know, the the term itself didn't necessarily describe what it was. I, I just knew it was a, a cycling thing and I liked cycling. So I checked out his website, and he he has a sense of humor very similar to mine. At some point in in the description of the race, he's saying you, know, you can basically was to paraphrase it, he was saying that you can ride what you whatever you bring, you know, just whatever you have, ride it. He said something like, you know, if you have a forty five pound fat tire bike and you want to lug that around the the course, go for it, and. I just thought that was kind of funny. It just it didn't seem pretentious. It seemed welcoming. Basically, that's how we became friends.
2: Yeah, I think to to echo that, you know, the the Monday Fundays were were a lot of fun. And and Doug, you know, I I think I, I joked. I, I never like looked at Strava to figure out if it was that you officially did more laps there than I did. But I remember it it would have been. I guess maybe I don't remember if it was 2015 or 2016 that I would go out there pretty regularly and ride. And especially in the like in the in the, the morning or the the evening, I could always see that there had been like one track that had gone through. And I think at that point in time, you know, a big ride for Doug was riding over from your house and then like doing one lap of the course and then riding back home. But you did it like I don't know if it was every day,
1: but like lots. Was, I, I <laughs> seem to be one of those people that if I get in a pattern with something, I'll I'll stick with it and build upon from it.
2: Yeah, so Doug, I mean, he, he just kind of jumped into it, and and then I think if the, if that was kind of like level one of the friendship, then level two of the friendship was when you know Doug got kind of introduced to to some of my friends within the cyclocross scene, and so I think uh, it, maybe it was Bloomer in 2016 then, which is then where the original big the Doughead came from uh, with with Midi, and I was announcing. I've raced and also announced, I think David must have been announcing with me too that year at the the, the Bloomer cyclocross race, kind of in the North Detroit suburbs area. And my friend, our friend, uh, Midi Matthews, that is with, uh, Arbor Move. She, I, I don't even know how that connection ended up getting made, but like Midi had access to a big gigantic printer. And I don't even know where we got the picture of Doug's head, but at some point in time, Doug comes around the corner and there's like a whole cheering section with, you know, big fat head of of Doug. and I don't know, Doug, you might describe it better, but I remember being on the mic and seeing you come around the corner the first time you probably saw that head in the in the race, and that probably was not anticipated,
1: oh, definitely not i I have almost fell off my bike laughing with that because I just I didn't know the people that had that group at the time, and so it was a bunch of strangers holding a uh, fat head of me and I was just like how is this even possible? <laughs> I mean I was aware of the tradition in Europe of the of the fat heads and there all of a sudden me cat five racer at the time there's a big fat head of me as I come around the corner and it was it was is wonderful. It was one of I mean I don't have a lot of accomplishments in cycling so <laughs> that's one of the highlights of my career right there. <laughs> Wasn't your family there too, or something like that, yes, or was it yes, the next my, year? My yeah, my parents were just, you know, they're they're getting older, and so they didn't know the the tradition, but they all of a sudden they saw people holding a head of their son, and just didn't know what to make of it at all. And they, you know, they loved it. They they had their own ones made up that with some very unflattering pictures of me. Well, but you know, it, I I, I, I think a, like one of the things that really like that that Doug is kind of like a,
2: a a magnetic personality because there's, I think Doug would be the first to admit, right? Like not the, not the fastest on the course, but like, but you know, present at lots of races, always, always smiling, usually has a pretty hilarious joke that, that takes like a little bit of, of thought to be able to like finally get it. And then when you do, it's, it's like quirky and, and, you got to know in order to, in order to get them. And I feel like he even lays some on me that I, that still probably just go over my head. But, you know, I think when, when, when Doug just kind of jumped into the, the cyclocross scene, for me, it was, you know, as a, as a race promoter, it was great that, especially in Alma, you know, somebody who really hadn't been involved in the race scene and, or even really the riding scene that, that really I knew of had heard of this dorky bike race that we were putting on and then came out and and did it and then like kind of continued to to develop in that when we certainly had people that would come out and race it for one year and then never touch it again because they like gravel or mountain biking or road biking better but doug you know for for whatever reason stuck with it and then you know gosh years down the road then you know doug became more than than just kind of like alma gp cyclocross racer he was junior assistant to the groundskeeper for for a while there that that was that was a pretty good big accomplishment a nice promotion for you i think
1: oh yeah i kind of at this point i kind of think it was kind of a batman robin thing you're tall and have all the know-how and you know the the good looks and i'm just the the short guy in spandex trying to help you out well doug was always willing to you know take a take a
2: one of those gas weed eater uh, trimmers, I remember one time it was particularly I had to go through and I would like you know use kind of some weed killer to get rid of some grass and then some of the sections, of course, were particularly sandy if you got beneath like the first you know half inch of roots or so and I remember i I saw Doug's car parked there one time, and I was I don't know if I was going to mow or if I was going to ride and, and Doug kind of came around the corner. It looked like he was wearing half of the course. It was, you know, 90 degrees out. He had been on the tiller for probably an hour and he was just head, like head to toe covered. All I saw were just like little Doug eyeballs and all of the bald was covered in dirt. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad you had to get back in your car after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's I don't know. the, That's the start of we we skipped some years in there, but yeah. Now my, now my kids like stop them doing, doing random Doug stop by's so we can drop off cookies and things like that at Doug's house. And yeah, no, no more than uh, just at Alma now people, people are on the bike races. No, Doug.
0: That's fun. What should we know about the history of the Alma grand prix and what it meant to you guys?
2: Well, so the the Alma Grand Prix for us started in uh, 2014 was our first year. So we had eight years, you know, including the Alma Grand Prix call up that we did in the the COVID year. The Alma Grand Prix was really actually kind of born out of it was called. Namely, the Ithaca Grand Prix, which is about Ithaca is about six miles uh, south of us. We had a race there from 2017 for for a total of five years. We had a couple years off there when I was in school again for the first time. We we kind of got to a point in that the the park in Ithaca that it was we were we were really reasonably outgrowing it, and so it was, I guess, yeah, like December November 2013. I was just like starting in the process of planning for 2014 and was trying to find another, another venue living in Alma at the time, you know, I, I would have loved to move, you know, start the race in Alma instead of, instead of Ithaca before that, but they're just like our, our city parks are, our city parks are generally really flat, not necessarily conducive to, uh, just in terms of parking and then, you know, just even public use for, for putting on a cross race. So I remember I was talking with one of the guys at the bike shop in town and asking him about you know what, what other places might work and he said well I'll get in touch with the at that time assistant city manager and I, I met with him and kind of showed him what cyclocross was and you know just in case there was like somehow some magic property which apparently there was that that I didn't I didn't know about and Eric mentioned this this like former airport property and we've got an airport to the south of town I mean it's like a you know small. Private plane kind of airport. I didn't know that there was an old airport. And also in my mind, an airport is just like, talk about flat, like that's probably about as flat as it gets. And he showed me on the map where it was. And this was, I don't know, middle of December or so in 2013. And 2014, that January was like the polar vortex year. And so I had snowshoes and just went and walked at the property. And like standing in this this area that's kind of like right against the river behind the, the Alma Transportation Center, uh, like bus garage area, and it, like looking at this place and thinking, "Oh well, my word, I, I can't, I didn't know that this place even existed in Alma. There were lots of woods, some of which were like pretty, pretty dense some open areas and I thought like this is this is amazing. And then all the snow melted and I saw what was underneath it after having kind of already announced that like we were gonna shift over. It was going to be the Alma Grand Prix and the first year was 2014. And when the snow melted and I saw what it was that I was working with, I will admit that I paused in my brain for a little bit to then think about, you know, it's not going to be just kind of mowing something. This when when they removed the airport in like the 1960s or so, and then formerly used it as a as a dump site. It was, it was pretty ripped up. The the vehicles that they were using to dump like lawn refuse and leaves and whatnot had had sizable ruts, like car tire size ruts, just kind of strewn all over the place. And so that first year we did it, it was it was bumpy. The course was short. It was maybe only about 1.1 miles or so. And so the lap times were, were relatively fast. And of course, since we put the race on in September, it was, it was dry. It was really, really dusty that first year. I don't know Doug, if you ever saw pictures of it, but the first year I remember going out there and I was riding in the morning and. One morning, I I came and there was this huge pit that was dug in the in the land like just north of what we use as the start finish straight, kind of in the parking area now, which was going to be the parking area and the registration area. And the city still used this land occasionally for some like basically holding of dirt. From what I understand, there was a water project and like some dirt needed to dry before they could put it back or something like that. So there was just this monstrous pit that was dug that was holding all of this dirt from elsewhere. And I there were many times in that first year that I thought like okay this this is great. Maybe I bit off a lot. I was also starting my PhD at the time, and there were lots of times in that first year that I thought, okay, well, well, we can we can make something happen, and then we'll we'll see. Some of the best advice I think I got when I was first doing Ithaca was, you know, like try it that first year, and then really think about what a what a three year plan would look like for the for the event. If you want to keep it going after kind of that first year, then what what would it look like moving forward? And so there was there was a not a short list of things that needed to improve and change in order to make it an, like an event that I really wanted to be kind of wanted to be part of would want to go race. If I was going to be racing the thing and really kind of number one on that list was to make the track better and smoother and longer and kind of more cyclocross oriented as opposed to that first year, especially it was, it was really grass crit kind of oriented and was really, really twisty too at the time. And so, yeah, then at that point it was like, you know, use the contacts and friends that I had in Alma, uh, not growing up there. Like I don't know a whole lot of farmers, but I've got friends who know farmers and farmers have tools and implements. And, you know, we ended up tilling, uh, like lots of land out there and, and a track and there's some great pictures and whatnot that still exist on the Alma Grand Prix Facebook page of some of those, some of those early, years in November uh, as the ground was pretty moist but then kind of before getting out there in the spring is always hard because the grass grows so fast but um, going out there and like farming it uh, for lack of a better word in in November to kind of build new pieces of track in areas that, that like I said were were pretty bumpy um, because of you know 40-year-old kind of like cement-laden tracks from huge implements that that removed the runway uh, and then you know used it as the 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 dump site at the time. So
1: yeah, I don't know. Doug, what am I missing from the early parts? Well, I just, just add a little bit what you're saying. I mean, it it's you've you have you usually did a preview video of the course. And if you watch the preview videos from like the first year or two compared to like what the course ended up being, it's just night and day. I mean, it's I mean just putting in the steps and a lot of different things that you did and just like stuff we did to maintain the course and just improve it. It, It's, it's amazing. Like the difference. I mean, I, I didn't do it the first year. The second year was my first year and I was riding a mountain bike with tires that were literally crumbled like three races later. (laughs) Actually, no, no, that was, it was a, I only did that one race that year, but the next year the I was like about three or four races into the season. And I had 20 year old tires on my Mountain bike and they crumbled during uh, that weird race in in Grand Rapids that um, really the one one of the ones that was this is the most European race around and it lasted a year and was kind of weird but uh, you gotta give people credit for putting on a race I'm not gonna knock anyone for putting on a race but and I th- I think that's one of the biggest things that you did with Elma JB is you know the land wasn't the greatest land you did what you could with it but. You made a race and an environment and a community with with the Alma Grand Prix that was just amazing. Getting the Australians to come the one year and getting, you know, Brendan Shirat, he, two-time New Zealand national champion, he didn't get to race it in the, I think it was 2017, but... Mm-hmm he made it to the race because there was a delay with, you know, his flight, but he still made it to the race. And he was, I think his next stop was a week or two later at, at track. And so he's, he he's stayed with you, I believe. And I was out there just practicing for my next race. And he was out there and he took probably 15 minutes to a half hour out of his time, not knowing who I was, just showing me how to, you know, get on my bike and dismount and, just just little things, you know, at the stairs. He was he was making a video, but he took the time out of his day. But I mean, he had Tyler Cloutier come a couple of years. You know, I mean, last year you had Sonny Gilbert and Maria Larkin. I mean, it's not and it's not just you know big name people that came. It just it was pretty much the biggest race in Alm El- or in Michigan. And I mean, you know, kind of neck and neck with Matt Anthony when we had had that. But it it was it was amazing. It was just a great environment, and I think everyone that Ever went to the Alma Grand Prix? Enjoyed it. Well, I I, I think the other piece too that you kind of hit on there was like,
2: you know, for for me especially living in the community and Alma's only I don't know like ten thousand people or so and and maybe a few more when college is in session. But, um, it, you know, if I if I want to bring something to a to a to a town, I want it also to somehow be beneficial from that town. Growing up and and racing on the road in the, the late '90s and early 2000s you know, in, in kind of like the, the crit scene is, is nowadays, like we know what's happened to road races and crits. And, and I, I didn't, I didn't want the, it to be kind of such a, a, I'm sure there were other examples, but kind of for lack of a better word, like a parasitic example of kind of this bike race kind of, you know, comes in and takes over downtown and then, and then disappears and the person who wants to go get their haircut on a Saturday morning can't park because you know, the, the road is closed. And so, in my mind there's like there's some sort of important connection that i think happens that that small towns in particular have have some affordances in um i mean also also some some you know real constraints though but in that you can if you do it right you can kind of leverage some some contacts and partners to really build build some interest and uh within the within the community and i would say that as much as it's it was fun for me to kind of bring my friends into town to, to come play bikes, whether it be a firm Monday, Funday or the, or the Alma grand prix, you know, one day of the year. The, the other part that I think is really fun is, is, is really engaging with people in Alma who really had no idea what cyclocross was. And they look at it as a, as a positive event. You know, it's silly things like I, but making sure that I was talking with the, the people in the city um, every year after the event, giving out a little survey on survey monkey that, Asked for places that we could improve, you know, to the racers. Um, and then also, like, how much money do you think you spent um, as kind of when you when you were in town? And then sending that information off, um, you know, in a really short one-page PDF to the city commission so then they can see that, you know, this race that we kind of let have, you know, use of this property, that it, it was bringing some benefit, um, you know, financially in, into the city. And I think that, you know, those kinds of things then ended up really being... I would say kind of fun for me. Like when, when I think about what was, what was really motivating, it was after we kind of had, you, you know, done the the first lift of, of kind of build the track in town, then really the, the next, the next task that I think was really, uh, it, it continually evolved, but was just, you know, how do I involve more people from, from businesses, but then also just kind of city leadership in, in, in what this event is to make it so that it is something that people view as being a benefit to the city, And, you know, even though we're kind of off to the side, you know, and, and somewhat invisible on, on those days. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was, and, and also certainly something that's like not in my wheelhouse, right? Like my, my education is in physics. I'm in, I'm in the education industry. So this part of doing the work of putting on a bike race is, is pretty new uh, in terms of the management of budgets and people uh, is is just not a you know I didn't I didn't go to school for that no there's there's no like book you can buy about like you know putting out a bike race for dummies um, it's a lot of phone calls and emails and text messages with people who seem to know what they're doing uh, who are also have been very willing to you know lend ideas or or make contacts uh, for me which is which was really fun
1: I think you just came up with your next project Jv Putting on a bike race for Dunnies? Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> Literally, yeah. Uh,
1: only if you illustrate it, Doug. Okay. I'm. You know, I think you, you'll you um, have a higher opinion of what my artistic abilities are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more stick figure than anything. That's funny.
2: No, but I mean, Alan, I, I think the 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 big thing, I think, with the Alma Grand Prix was that I, I always kind of j- joked about it, is if people really understood, like, the the scope of the machine behind it, it was like me with an internet connection and some storage in my basement that like held most of the race for most of the year. Uh, and then kind of an inflated and, and loud and over enthusiastic internet presence. Um, and then, you know, some really nice asks and then nice people within the community to, to, you know, put me in touch with the Australians for the first time they came over. Um, and then, you know, whether it be Brendan or then, you know, Tyler, Sonny, Maria, like you know, people who had kind of heard of it or or wanted to be part of it and were willing to come up to, you know, central, middle, pretty rural Michigan uh, to to be part of the event. And that that was really fun. Um, you know, in cyclocross, people, I think, are really accessible on the grand scale of things. But, um, you know, I asked uh, because I just wasn't afraid to hear no. Um, and I'm always kind of surprised how many times you know, you hear yes. Um, and that's great.
0: Can you talk about all the other stuff you did? I mean, what, how, how did the pontoon boat announcing gig come together? Those videos you had of the countdowns were something that I, you know, definitely wanted to, I will steal from my events and stuff like that. So yeah. Was it all creativity? Was it other people?
2: A lot of them when I think about it are like, you know, kind of really half baked ideas that I think, you know, we, 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 we had a relationship with Avalon because I remember the first time I was, I, I knew they were in town because you, you couldn't really miss them uh, when I was kind of going to the bike race. So we drive by their their factory. I remember early on, I think it might've been 20, i might've been 2015, I think was the year that Avalon sponsored our, our water bottles. And, um, and then kind of from there, it, it was like, well, you know, there was this parade uh, and I remember seeing one of the Avalon pontoons go by. and it it struck me because I had my impression of pontoons, uh, and even the things that they kind of had on the lot were like wrapped up with shrink wrap and whatnot. so i never I never really saw one. Um, and the fact that they were making like luxury pontoon yachts, I, I saw one roll by me in front on the, uh, on this parade. And I leaned over to my buddy and I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And he said, yeah, that probably costs a hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's a pontoon. <laughs> and he said, no. And then he started kind of going into what, what these were and and the market that they had kind of made uh, as part of that, that, you know, that, that luxury pontoon, which I, I never in my brain didn't associate those two things together. Right. Pontoons were, were half sinking and they had like AstroTurf carpet on it and, and you know a barge or something right not not the kinds of things that they were producing and so they were really um you know kind of in the in the theme of of just ask and then they they kept on saying yes and so when i when i shifted over to then try to think about how we could involve them as a as a title sponsor the double-decker pontoons that they made then was just like the the, the first like, man, you know, if we had one of those and our announcers could be on top and then it was like, well, how do we make that happen? Uh, well, we just ask And I had some nice people there that, that had supported the race. And I think that they had also, you know, they had probably heard of through, through other people in, businesses in city, the kind of people in Alma that like, it was a, it was a thing it was going well and it was getting bigger and yeah, putting announcers on top of a pontoon boat. Um, when, you know, we, we are like, I don't know, maybe a less than a half mile away from the river, um, there, but you know, there, there's no water, uh, there's no water features or anything like that. It was, it was just kind of parked out on the field and then really became like a central focal point. And I think that's part of, you know, when I remember cross races when I was a kid, they they always had this, this atmosphere that was, was really different and, you know, really attractive compared to some of the other events. Um, and it wasn't that the other events didn't have announcers, but there was, there was something about a cross race with that, that's like centrality of around the finish area and then features on the, on the race course, um, that yeah, parking a big pontoon and using it as a backdrop and, you know, putting it near the registration tent really, really came as kind of a showcase for, uh, for them. And was also then a way that I could, you know, it was a, it was an easy way for me to advertise for them in, in podium pictures and things like that. I honestly don't remember why the countdown videos started. I, re- I remember doing them the first year. I would get a lot of really weird looks cause we've got this lap counter with these like laminated numbers that we would flip over. And I would like walk around downtown from the various business partner sponsors that we would have with, with armed with my cell phone and then the silly countdown timer. And I mean, amazingly, like the vast majority of those videos, uh, at least the ones that, that that were like at where I was behind the camera uh, were were all one takes. Um, every once in a while we would we would kind of get through and then stop and then restart. But like there was there was no editing uh, to them. It wasn't audio cleanup. Um, most of the time, I was probably in a hurry to go and do it. Um, and they certainly ended up kind of taking on a life of their own when we started asking, you know other people, whether it be David or Scott. Um, or Tyler or, you know, like w- when it started going out is like, hey, can you do this and send me a video? You know, those were when they really started taking on personalities that I had I had not anticipated. But then, you know, people were looking forward to them and, and tuning into them.
0: Douglas, what did you think of the registry, the, registra- the uh, countdown cards and the uh, pontoon
1: vote? Well, they were awesome. I mean, I think the first couple of years there were there were more just sponsors and they were kind of straightforward. And that that's that's fine. But it just the cyclocross community is its own special community, and I think we're a lot of, for lack of a better term, a bunch of weirdos, and in a in a in a great way. And everyone was able to do like something creative. And I mean, how how do you beat, you know, uh, Scott Herman's Mr. Rogers? I mean, that was that was, I mean, what's the over under on takes on that? He's such a pro. It was probably one take like, you know, J.B. said for the ones he was shooting, but I mean, I bet he did that on one take. I mean, he's amazing. And it's just like, I like to think I'm creative and can come up with some funny stuff. But when you see someone else doing something that just blows your mind like that, it's, it's, it's awesome. And it's, you know, to like going back to what I said earlier about it it was the entire race, even leading up to it is just like a special environment. And you know that's what we loved about it. A
0: long time with the Alma Grand Prix. What was the setup for when it came to the the call up? Was this just something that worked out for you? Some a, a, a massive last minute brainstorm, or for the
2: uh, the the call up from twenty yeah. twenty? Yeah. So you know, we, given our our race time and the first Saturday after Labor Day, when COVID happened and and we kind of saw what was what was going on, I remember talking a lot with David Palin about you know like the difference between kind of can you put an event on and, and should you put an event on and for for us it it ended up it ended up being that you know given the fact that like we've got we got two little kids and there were just so many things that were unknown um and the fact that like you know for for putting event on the early part of september if the 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 timeline going backward from there for ordering jerseys and water bottles and and cycling caps or like whatever those things like at this point in time after you know that was that was year seven for us i guess and and by then like i've I've got a countdown sheet and i know what i'm supposed to be doing for the race in may in order for that to arrive at my house in mid-august or whatever so i don't have to worry about you know delays in shipping or something like that and so I was I was kind of forecasting ahead of like, well, how how late could I potentially kind of make this this the shift if if we needed to? You know, at that point then it was like, okay, well, if we make a shift, then like what what is it gonna look like? Um, is it you know, some sort of weird like cycle cross time trial and still try to do something in person, but then it's like, well, we're we're kind of two hours away from everybody. And one of the big reasons I think people were willing to drive to Alma to do this thing was you know, the, the event and being around people. And that was just not something that I was particularly, um, you know, enthusiastic about, um, because in my mind, like, even though it seemed as if something, you know, uh, something dramatic, negatively dramatic coming out of that was, was probably really unlikely. Um, the fact that it wasn't like zero and not that it's ever zero, but like it, it, just struck me as kind of like, okay, I don't, not, not this year, right? So then it was like, okay, well, if we're not going to do that, but I still want to do something because it is so much about the, the, the community and bringing people, you know, to together in whatever, whatever form that looks like. Um, that's really where the call up uh, idea started. I mean, of course, you know, doing things over Zoom was not new to people at that point in time. I the, for the. You know, prior like two years or so, most of the work that I'd done with my advisor at Michigan State was all virtual, um, and so handling that platform and doing a meeting of that scale wasn't wasn't entirely new to me. Um, I did manage to, you know, Scott and Herman and David Palin were were willing to do some sort of emceeing thing, and as we started swirling around, you know, what what might something look like. You know, that's where then it was kind of leveraging and leaning on some of the context that we had to bring some people kind of into the Alma Grand Prix family that previously previously weren't. Um, and so you know when Tyler was Tyler had already been to Alma, so that was that was an easy one. Um Sonny had been connected to David, and I think that that must have been, I think, how I ended up, you know, meeting Sonny. Um, I'm pretty sure I met Maria the year before at Montrose in Chicago. And I think Maria was running around in like an inflatable dinosaur costume or something like that after having just like, you know, ripped people's legs off in the, in the elite women's race. And it like, you know, she just had this, this, this absolutely magnetic and enthusiastic personality. And so when, when she said yes, and there were kind of these snowballs of, of like, okay, I think, I think we could get something together. Um, you know, Stephen Hyde. Joining and saying yes was was a, a kind of an out of the blue ass I think you know I don't I don't want to put words in his mouth, but like I think he was probably also navigating like like what is the cyclocross season going to look like um, if there is one at all nationally. And so it was a way that I think everybody who joined in could still have some connection with the with their their people, right? And it didn't matter if Tyler was or um, Stephen was over on the East Coast. um Tyler was in Texas, I think, at the time still um and then the last one too was was you know Michael Christman who at the time um was the the U23 European champ um french cyclist and and Mick and I had had messaged back and forth just on on Instagram a couple times before and again it was like like this of you know just ask the worst thing they can say is no and amazingly everybody said yes and so then all of a sudden it was like okay we got Got these people, they all said yes. Now let's figure out what it is that we can do um to make something fun that people can participate in. And so that's that's where the call-up came from. Um and yeah, that <laughs> it was that was as much of a of a pivot and just kind of try to try to, you know, keep some abnormal version of normal together moving forward as we're all prepping for this season. That's not gonna happen. Um And, you know, just so much uncertainty, I guess, going on at that time, it felt like I I still wanted to see my friends. And even though they were all like little one inch zoom squares, like got to see some of them and make videos. So,
1: yeah, I think by that time I was pretty much figuring that I wouldn't be racing at all that, that season. Um, So for me, it was really nice to have that opportunity to to connect with people, um, you know, friends and then, you know, just get some interaction with with some really cool people in the sport. Yeah, for me, it was I I realized I
0: wasn't racing. I mean, there was a series for me that was a four hour drive in Indianapolis, but they were massively restricting everything of after you race. It was just basically show up, race, leave. And for me, that wasn't cross and having some familiar faces heading this and then seeing, you know, some pros that I knew of and some that I didn't was it definitely it was the best part of cross season for me in 2020. Hands down.
2: Well, thank you. and I you know also want to give a, a a nice shout out to Taylor Jones because Taylor speaks French. I mumble a bunch of words that sometimes kind of yeah. sort of sound like French, but, but the logistics of us being able to get Mick um you know who is French and speaks French. Mick speaks pretty good English too amazingly. you know again, it was it was you know if this is this thing, then then who are we going to be able to lean on that can can help with this and you know again ask and people say yes and at that. It's one of the best parts I think about this whole, whole, you know, this this cross community is that I think people understand the fun and social nature of it, um, and are are willing to help out. So that's that's been great.
0: So let's talk, Glen Gravel, Glen Close, whatever. How many words you have out of this Gravel ramble that happens? Is it is that done too? And how long has it been going on?
2: So that was. Uh, so yeah, yes, done. I decided to to just pull the, the, the whole bandaid off, um, for, for, for everything. Um, that, that started, uh, gosh, 2017, uh, we called it the, <laughs> we called it the 100 mile creatively named ride because I needed to name the thing to put on Facebook. Um, so I had this gravel route that went kind of Southwest from Alma toward, um, eventually to Greenville and then back on the Fred Meyer Heartland Trail. Um so it was like kind of sixty ish miles of gravel and then forty miles of of pavement. And it was it was fun, got some friends together to come and do it. Um and then in making the decision to formalize it, of course, one of the first things that I that I focus on other than for the hundred mile creatively named ride version was to actually like name an event. <laughs> um something that would be kind of neat and unique that people would remember. And so um you know, Alma is, is kind of known as being Scotland, USA. And, um, you know, Glen seems to show up in, in front of many of the Scotches. Uh, and so then there's a Google Doc that exists still probably somewhere with a whole bunch of names and words and things. And that's really my thought process of trying to swirl something together. Um, and probably like sending Doug a text to with a bunch of not good ones, <laughs> and trying to swirl things to, to finally get to something. But the Glen gravel was really motivated to try to you know our our gravel roads out here in central michigan are are really really nice and even though they're generally kind of on mile grids um you know having having ridden gravel in lots of parts of the country now Alma and kind of like our central Michigan gravel is more more generally like kind of dirt concrete um they're they're not chunky they're generally not pretty loose they're they're really light traffic um and there's some routes that we kind of normally would go on, and it it dawned on me that you know having the Alma Grand Prix was great, but there's a limited number of people who are ever going to want to put on uh, a bib number and then line up at a start next to someone and have something timed and and race, but that there was this market potentially available for you know people who like riding bikes who maybe haven't ridden gravel or who like touring and haven't toured on gravel um, or who might be gravel cyclists, but don't really want to do any sort of a race. And so that's where the, that's where the Glen gravel came from. It was, it was really designed, uh, originally like as the hundred mile creatively named raid named ride, um, to just kind of get my friends together on these roads that we ride on all the time in the summer. And then when it, when we formalized it, then it, then I was looking for something that was more expansive, uh, in terms of the market that it would attract. And I know that, you know, the number of people that are going to bite off 100 miles is pretty limited. Uh, so in that first year, and I don't know if, Doug, if you remember better, but the we had a uh, 25-mile, I think a 50-ish mile, 60-mile, something like that, and then we had a 100-mile version and we had a lot of people do that 25 and it ended up being kind of about a third a third a third is you know who chose those routes but we we did the Glen gravel from home in in 2020 um as as just a a way to again have something that people could still do that was pretty fun i missed again having people come to town um and you know visit our our local business partners but then doing it again in 21 you, you know that was that was really fun. I think the issues that we ran into were that there there were a lot of events that were really kind of that had been pushed back and stacked up. And so I think even though there was a lot of interest to go back and kind of start doing things and people were more comfortable with that, because, um, you know, I think at that point in time, most people probably had maybe not most people, but like, you know, one vaccine was certainly available. And I and people generally were kind of more out doing things like that, that it um but consequently, I think that just like what we ran into with the Alma Grand Prix in 21, there were there were other events that had also kind of stacked up and pushed back. To be really honest, um, between putting on the Alma Grand Prix and putting on the Glen Gravel, there were things I stressed about with the Alma Grand Prix, but the level of stress that I kind of experienced as a as a promoter, knowing that I was kind of sending people out on roads with vehicles, um, that that part was harder for me to just kind of reconcile with. And I felt myself nervous, um, more nervous than I, than I really thought, um, when it was kind of somehow I, I don't fully know what the legalities would be, but I, I just would feel more responsible. Um, and so for as much as that event was fun, there were parts about it that weren't as fun that I really didn't anticipate doing just because of, you know, just because of kind of, I guess, the reality of, of vehicles and, um, and bikes even on very rural
1: unpopulated
2: roads without a lot of traffic um it it it's still something that
1: i guess was was always on my mind in those in those days last year i ended up calling you because there was a crazy dog on the loose like it seemed very aggressive but by the you know it it went back inside its house but i mean it was scaring some people and you know you, you never know what's going to happen out there with you it, i know i know it's more you know, obviously you want to make sure things legally, you know, you don't want to put yourself in a bad situation, but I think it's more of a, could you live with yourself if something bad happened? I mean, that would be the harder part.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's funny you mentioned the dog too, because there, there, there were houses that I was aware of that had, that had dogs on, on the route. Um, and of course the house that like I hadn't seen that dog in probably three years. And like, that was the dog that when Doug called me and was like, Hey, there's a dog. I'm like, that dog's still alive. Like I can't even believe that. And all the other dogs that were on the the route managed to, you know, stay home for the day. Um, but it is, it's, it's little things like that because even if it's not the dog, if it's the dog that then comes out in concert with a car, then it's, it, the, you know, th- things can go sideways pretty quickly in, in ways that are, that are random that I don't have a lot of control over. Um, whereas, you know, putting on a putting on a bike race on, on a kind of vacant city lot where everybody is within, you know, a very short distance of me in the event something does happen, it's gonna be bike and bike or bike and tree related or something like that. And that's not great either, but certainly much more, at least kind of from my perspective, easily manageable um than, than when I've got people kind of spread out all over Grash and Isabella counties. So, yeah, there was a an, an, an unanticipated stress um, that that seemed to grow uh, not proportionately to the the enjoyment that I took out of like the event and bringing people. And again, kind of getting to see people, especially in 21 after, um, you know, I, I don't remember how long it had been since I had raced my bike or seen a lot of my bike friends, but um, it'd been a while.
0: Is, is that stress with the gravel race? Is that more of just making sure that people go through certain checkpoints or just hoping everyone gets back?
2: Um, so first off, it wasn't, it wasn't a race. It was just a, just a tour. So we had some, some on-course aid stations. Um, it, it, and honestly, it was more so people getting back. I would do a sweep of the, of the course afterwards, but, um, you know, I I could say till I'm blue in the face that you know you you got to be responsible for yourself if you have a mechanical. You got to be sufficient. Um, but as as Doug mentioned, right, like in the event that something sideways kind of ever happens, then yeah, I think that that's I don't know. We if you've been in cycling long enough, you've you know you've been you you or someone that you that you know has been touched by less than positive outcomes with with vehicle interactions and and yeah, I mean I I don't know I probably. I don't know. I mean we we lost a a really close friend a couple of years ago and and I'm sure that that's probably you know part of part of all of my riding even even now um and and how how I view roads and interactions with vehicles and um but I think that that really was the the bigger stressor for me. Um I knew definitively like I had no interest in making this a race. Um and frankly like some of the gravel races that I know exist and they're you know they're really popular they scare the heck out of me because, uh, whether, whether they're not marked or or not marshaled or whatever, and, and you have, you have groups of cyclists that are, that are out on, on roads and, you know, whether you're doing something right or, or wrong as a, as a cyclist, doesn't really matter if in the event that, that there's an interaction and with a vehicle. And, and so I, I look at, at, you know, the kinds of events that I would prefer. And it, like, if I was to bring something back, frankly, the, um, the Alma Prix seems more ma- manageable despite the fact that that's like, you know, hours and hours and hours of mowing, as opposed to, you know, the Glen gravel is, is drive around for a few hours and put some markings on the road and some signs in, um, is so much easier to put on from a prep standpoint. Um, but also just like weirdly less enjoyable for me also because I just love cyclocross. And so like that nerdy part of me is always going to gravitate toward, toward that. But, you know, we were fortunate never to have, uh you know in like the two years i guess kind of three years if you count the the Glen Gravel from home one but we, we never had any negative inter- interactions that i that at least that i knew about you know generally the interactions that i do have with vehicles in alma and, and surrounding are not not threatening and not
1: bad but it i don't know i'm getting older and
2: i just think about these things more i guess
1: and well and i think people are just getting more distracted with their driving too and it's it it is nice uh you know the gravel roads we do have, we can go out for, you know, a couple hours and see three cars come up from behind us in the whole time. But you never know. And you put 150 people out, you know, on a 50 mile stretch or whatever, you know, there are going to be several interactions and you, you know, you want them to be positive. And, you know, getting back to our friendship, you know, it's interesting because, you know, most of your life, you, you grow up, you grow older, you learn things from people. They're all older people. And I've got more than a decade on JB, but I've learned so much from in cycling. And, you know, I alluded to it earlier, you know, just being a better cyclocross racer and stuff, but that dealing with cars and that kind of stuff, what to do as a cyclist, the right and wrong things. That's what I've learned most from JB, you know, just, we still have some friends that we ride with that blow through a stop sign or whatever, and we, you know, can, Get try to get them on the same page and stuff, but I know that I, you know, follow the rules rules of the road much, much better. Not that I would ever, you know, blatantly disregarded them. You know, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a two-way street, you know, with cyclists and, and, you know, motor vehicles. You know, you have to be a responsible cyclist and, you know, that doesn't stop anything from happening necessarily, but it's just, it's important to do. To protect yourself, to give a better image to cyclists because there are a lot of idiots out you know among us that just do do things that they shouldn't do. and unfortunately, you know it's the whole story. You know, some people will judge one one per what they see with one person, and, you know apply it to the entire group. and so you know that's one of the one of the biggest things you know, JB has been a young mentor to me in so many ways.
2: Well, I mean, I, I think the the piece too that I think about what's, what's the thing that I tell everybody that ever goes on a gravel ride with me um, is like, I, I wave at every single car that that goes by me. And that's not because I want to wave back uh, from them. Uh, that's because I'm probably going to see that car at some other time on that road. Um, and it's the same thing with the Glen Gravel, right? Like I got 100, 150 people out on this on this route. Um, and the difference between me in spandex and any of my 150 friends that would come up in spandex is, is nothing in the eyes of somebody who all they see is a, is a cyclist on the road. And so, you know, especially out there, like, um, I mean, I would say for, for every, like, you know, one person that might not wave back or gives me some sort of weird look, there's, there's 99 other people that I would ever, ride by on a bike that that gives me the wave it's it's just a little human connection between you know i apologize for the you know the the two and a half second delay in in moving around because they they paused for a second but then you know it's it's an easy thing uh i'm a hand off the bar wave like this kind of a person uh especially with a car (laughs) um not in like hey i need help but like hey what's up we're out here thanks and you know i don't know i don't have statistical evidence that it's like any better around where where i'm riding now but it's um it's a tiny thing right like we're humans in goofy clothing riding expensive bikes
1: yeah if if you wave you are a human if you don't wave you might just might as well just be a bike i mean bike's a piece of property a human is a human and that wave really helps a lot of people you know realize that i think how did flat dug come along I think JB has to answer this because I had I had nothing to do with any of this. I am actually a very shy person, so like I'm not self promoting. I've I think Flat dogs has helped me, you know, come out of my shell a little bit, but um, it was all JB and Mitty Matthews that that came up with that.
2: I mean, I, I think at some point in time, like the 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 fat. You know, dug head on a on a stick may may have met its untimely demise at in a in a dumpster somewhere or something. And I'm trying to think. Flat Doug was was Flat Doug the one with you with the with with the arm out? That was that was the original Flat Doug.
1: Yeah, at the Glen Gravel Ramble it must have been the 2019 one. Um, Mitty was at the aid station, and I have to say the best stocked aid station ever. I mean, I ate so much food there. He had everything <laughs> possible you could imagine, um, all built into the the price of the you know the registration fee. Um, plus, you got a, a meal afterward at one of the local restaurants. So that was that was awesome. But uh, Mitty Matthews started asking me to pose for some pictures, and she's like, "Well, stick your arm out, hold your water bottle this way," and I'm just like, "Okay." You know, Mitty takes a lot of great cycling uh, pictures, but. I I had probably that was probably like you know 30, 40 miles into my ride at that point. So you know, it was a hot day. I wasn't really thinking, you know, why is she making me pose? I just thought it, you know, it's Mitty. She's she's got some reason. I'll I'll just I'll do whatever she says. She's a good person. And then when we when I got to the um the Alma Grand Prix that year, I I start seeing, I think it was on social media beforehand, I saw some these pictures of these yellow arrows, um, on the metal stakes and saying, get your picture taken with Doug. And I'm like, wait I'm not there. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, I think I know where this is going. And sure enough, there was, there was a likeness of me there. <laughs> yeah. But- I, what's amazing is it's like exactly the same height as I am. So like it is dimensionally, it is, it is perfect.
2: It's pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah. I, I remember oftentimes with, with MIDI, right? Like there's, I only end up with like three quarters of whatever the full idea is. And so I think I probably knew that there was going to be some picture taking of Doug. Uh, I didn't know that it was going to be like the, you know, posed. Uh, I thought we were going to just end up with like a fat head version of like a whole Doug. Um but posed flat dog was, was was really great. And, yeah, you made the rounds that year. You were busy. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: th- yeah, especially at Trek. Mr. David Palin and, and Scott Diedenbach put him up at their tent at Trek. It was amazing. Like, Michael Vandenham, Maria Larkin, Sonny, or, uh, Sonny Gilbert, um, Katie Compton, just a lot of people. To, I, I, I don't know why these people that are stars in the sport would go, that cat four racer, I'm gonna take a picture with it. But like I, I think, you know, Scott and David both have a little, you know, you know, sway in the in the cycle cross community. So I think that had something to do with it. But it was just amazing. Like, you know, 10 or 12 really good pros took their picture with Flat Dog. And I was just and that for me, that's the best thing ever because I don't necessarily want to meet these people because I'd probably just stumble over my words and feel really inadequate about that social interaction so you know hey i've got a picture of basically me with them and that's great now they feel like they know you so they
2: they walk up to you like talking to you and you're like i'm sorry you you don't know you don't know 3d Doug, you know you know flat dog we haven't actually met before
1: (laughs) absolutely so how
0: how does jb hancock become mr pt barnum of pride of michigan cyclocross
2: pontoon boat I, I i don't know i mean i i don't remember i'm trying to think uh david got me connected with brooke watts and in the year that the australians came uh back when brooke was still promoting cross vegas um i ended up going out there on the sunday right after the alma grand prix because Cross vegas was on wednesday um and so you know like pack up the the bike race, the Sunday morning, uh, you know, a couple friends uh drove with me and the five Australians to the to the airport, flew to Vegas, um, and then, you know, I ended up getting to to just kind of work as part of a a laborer on the on the crew that put on Cross Vegas uh that year, which was the first year that it was a World Cup. And I remember, I mean, it it's so it, it's it's so educative when you're around all of these people that i i hadn't met most any of them um and they were you know like it was like i was seeing like little like really smart reflections of me that like they really liked this thing they were there from you know whatever part of the country just just helping out i remember there was this kind of this crew from st louis there was this crew from texas there was uh you know a couple from, from the colorado area and then and then i i knew david um and it was just like these people that kind of got together that helped build this race. And so much of what cross Vegas was also reminded me of, of what I I kind of saw for the Alma grand Prix, which was, which was an event that I think kind of like president, it looked bigger than it, than it was cross Vegas was huge. But like, I, I think that people would probably be surprised in, you know, yes, cross Vegas was huge, but like Brooks Brooks team was so, uh, so efficient and just like, Passionate and motivated to kind of do this thing, and I I saw a lot of that and carried that into the next year um, with with the Alma Grand Prix and and you know took a lot of really cool ideas that Brooke had with respect to promotion and just how you talk about it. Um, and I remember Brooke always made the distinction between a race director and a race promoter, and and Brooke described himself as a race director, and I was thinking I'm not. I'm not that good. Like all I am is really just somebody who makes a lot of noise about this thing. And I don't really know how David came up with, with PT Barnum honestly out of the, out of the whole thing. But, but yeah, that, that kind of swirly version of, of, um it, you know, willing to try something and things I think on, uh, you know, on on one hand on the circus is like you, you see it and it looks a lot bigger than what it kind of actually is. And David certainly saw a lot of the inside workings of, of, you know me and my internet connection and like um you know designing jerseys in like microsoft powerpoint and sending them over to my um to the, the guy that was making jerseys for me like it it was on one hand looked you know really really good and then if you really saw the 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 inner workings of the structure underneath it you you would think how does that even actually come out um I mean, it look like a bike race and it came out and looked like a bike race cuz there were a lot of people that were involved that could help fill all the gaping holes that that i couldn't bring to the uh to the equation but um now i think technically we have, we have fully transitioned to the former pride of michigan cyclocross um and i don't remember exactly where that where that distinction happened it was at some point in time um it was you know i think it was former pride technically before i i like quit race promoting i think i had already slid into the former pride version it was based on race results alone <laughs> uh if anything but yeah, that, that's been a fun one.
0: They, they like would talk about it, but never describe why.
2: That, that was the magic of like the, the bike shop CX show, right? That that's that was um, it, it always kept you wanting more because you wouldn't know exactly the full detail of the story. So maybe you would hear a little bit more on the next episode and, and
0: you always kept listening in. So let's, let's talk about those guys and let's talk about Scotty D and let's talk about Mr. David Palin. I mean, obviously, in some ways, when I was telling David last week, I said if not for them, I definitely probably wouldn't have started this podcast. But what do those guys mean to you?
1: Scott, oh, no, Scott... I was gonna say you go ahead first. You've known them far longer than I have.
2: I remember when Scott was was starting uh the podcast and he got in touch with me because he wanted to drive up to Ithaca and do this interview with me at the at the the venue and talk about what this was. And I I won't lie, I I hadn't ever heard a podcast before. Uh, I mean, this would have been like 2000, I don't know, 11, maybe 2000, I don't know, 2010. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Um, and I was like, sure. Yeah, we can talk, we can talk bikes. And like, and I couldn't believe, you know, Scotty had so much, so much passion for what it was that he was, that he was doing. And he had this cool audio recording set up and I, I sat with him under the kind of pavilion for the uh, for the Ithaca Grand Prix, where we used registration. And then we just went for a bike ride afterwards. Um, and it was, it was great. That was really the first time that I met, um, that I met Scott he came out. Um, and then I think ended up doing some recordings at the race that year. Um, that's where I met David. Um, and I think as David will, will say so many people will hear David first, and then they're kind of like looking around and then they see David. Uh, and I'm probably not unlike other people that like, I hadn't, hadn't made that connection like i knew the voice and then it was like wait this this is david pellon like the in my mind david Pellin is this you know huge individual with this booming voice and, and in reality david is david is not a very tall man and he certainly has a booming voice but it was just so funny the you know the the two of them uh and and the pairing that they had is kind of the infancy of that podcast was was neat to see it grow um and, you know, again, like David was turned into the person that I would call and talk to about all the silly ideas that I would have. And, you know, David has heard a lot of my silly ideas and it goes usually kind of through the through the David filter first. And then like then it'll kind of filter out through some other filters. So David has managed to take a, over the years a number of of, you know, not even half baked, right? We haven't even put ingredients together, and David kind of pulls me back into like, yeah, that sounds maybe cool, but like, not. Let's let's go back this way, um, and then out of that, both with with he and Scotty D, um, you know, a, a a fun kind of like bike oriented friendship um, of again people who are just kind of sort of like minded that enjoy cyclocross
1: and uh, get the community part. I think they're just great human beings, um, you know, and it's it's really cool to have people that are well known in the sport, just take an interest in, in someone like me. That's just, you know, as bottles lowest on the totem pole, as far as racing and stuff goes, they, I mean, both of them are very accessible people. Um, and they're, they're just, they're just great. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, their, their banter on on the show is always genuine. I mean, that's how they are in real life. I mean, it's, it's really cool and you know you see with them you know both of them people that are willing to invest in the sport not just go and race or do what they do announcing i'm sure you know it's more you get some money from it but you're not doing it for the money you're doing it to to do something for the sport because there needs to be an announcer and you know th- what they did all the time you know Scott would put into producing the the podcast i mean he would spend hours and hours just partly because he's he's someone who pays attention to detail on everything i mean and what i liked about the bike shop show is i i'm a little bit mechanically inclined but i've just never really done much with bike maintenance and just listening to the show no visuals i was able to go from just basically being able to you know fix a flat to do a lot of minor repairs and stuff on my bike, you know, it saves me money. It makes me feel better. It's just, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's, it's, they provided a service that was in, incredible for just any, anyone out there that was willing to listen.
2: Well, I think, you know, going back that the, I think generally like the, the people that are, especially in the cyclocross community are, are more on the like open and welcoming end of the spectrum than not. Um, and I, I think that, you know, for people that are, that are kind of interested in learning more about the the nuts and bolts of, of how either race promotion works, or if it's, if it's podcasting or race announcing, like the, you know, just, just ask, like if, you get in touch with the promoter a couple weeks out and say, Hey, is there anything I can do to, to help? Or, or, you know, what's your cleanup crew look like? I'll have some time afterwards, or do you need help, you know, setting up the event beforehand? Like the answer is probably going to be yes. Right. Like it's, the, especially on the cleanup side, like more hands really make light work. And it's, it, it's such a tiny little way that you can, you can, start to see what it is that goes on when you go from kind of participating in a race to, you know, not necessarily full on doing it yourself, um, as, as a, as a promoter. But that was really where, where things started for me. I remember hanging out afterwards at at some of the tailwind races in kind of the the greater Detroit and Ann Arbor area. Um, and it would just be helping, right? Like I was not part of the crew, but like, okay, I've got some time here, uh, can pull down a few stakes. And next you know, you start talking to people and then, you know, for me, the whole bike race promotion thing started because I remember driving home one day from one of the races and thinking like, well, Robert, the guy who put on all the tailwind races for, for, since I was a kid, the, the last race that I remember thinking about it, I think we celebrated Robert's 70th birthday, uh, in like after the awards. And I remember thinking like, man, 70 years old, is Robert going to be doing this in five years? If Robert's not doing this, who else is going to be doing this? And for me, that's really, it was like that, that nugget that then started, the shift into the Ithaca Grand Prix that obviously kind of grew, but you know, Robert was an accessible person. Scott Herman is an accessible person. Scotty D and David, uh, Doug, right? Like generally people that like, if you go up and say, Hey Doug, like Doug might not know you and be like, Hey, you took a picture with flat Doug three years ago, didn't you? <laughs> um And yeah, it's a fun way to start a
0: conversation, but that's one of the things I just love about
1: the cross community.
0: What's next for you guys when it comes to cycling?
1: I think pretty much um for me having a little more free time and i had some health issues last year you know my my master plan was to like win a national championship when i'm like 70 years old i figured i'd just outlast everyone and you know i'm 50 i'll be 52 this year so i guess i'm technically 52 racing age right now i just assumed i would be able to do that until that age and you know that may or may not happen um I'm actually at a place where I'm probably better than what I was a year ago, but it got me thinking more about like, how long am I going to be able to race and stuff? So I want to enjoy racing, but kind of balance it with giving back to the racing community. I mean, I feel like I did a fair amount of stuff helping JB out with the race and stuff, but it was still a small amount. I think I can do more and it's just kind of getting to the point where like sometime 10, 15 years from now when I retire, that can be more of my life is doing things for others in the racing community. I want to be really clear, right? Like, Doug, Doug was not a little part of the.
2: There, there's a reason you you officially graduated to assistant junior assistant to the groundskeeper or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, the Doug, Doug took care of so much stuff, especially in in. I mean, I don't know. Was it every year? No, 2020. Yeah. All but last year uh, I was in my PhD during the time of putting on the Alma Grand Prix. And there were many times that, it, you know, it was like, okay, this, 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 and this has to happen. And I've got time for one of them. And sure enough, I'd go out there and, you know, either the other two were done or all three were done. Uh, and it was, it's silly things like just making sure that, you know, the sand pit gets weed whacked or, uh and and you know every time I was thinking about doing that, that also means that like i'm i'm not i'm not spending time with my family i'm not working on my dissertation i'm not working on my job i'm not riding my bike i'm doing this other thing and so doug was not a tiny part uh of that crew, especially you know toward toward the later editions um you know doug's involvement was was really integral um in that so don't don't sell yourself short on that one doug in terms of like things that are next for me i'm looking forward to riding my bike more i've done more riding and racing this spring than i've really ever done probably 10-ish years um i guess now and a lot of that's not just because of the alma grand prix but in 2020 i did buy a a mower that had one of those hour counters on it and that that really kind of put the nail in the coffin for me because it was like this it stared at me every time I turned on my lawnmower. Is how how much time I did spend uh, out there at the course mowing. It was this past weekend we we did a, uh, a, a we called it the 127 on US 127 um, during my my PhD um, on the east side of US 127 between Alma and Ithaca. They they built a section of the Mid Michigan Community Pathway, which is a a bike path that that's kind of right adjacent to the to the freeway there. Um, And I remember one day as they were building that, thinking to myself, like, you know, I'm not in my mind, I'm kind of swirling in this negativity of I'm not making any progress on my dissertation. It just every time I make two steps forward, it's another step backward. And like, you know, the only thing that could be like that this this could be this new bike path that they're putting that's six and a half miles long, like it would be less mind numbing to do 127 miles just like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on the bike path than it is to to, to do this work that I was, um, that I was doing with my dissertation at the time. And the, the dissertation came and, came and went, uh, and was successful and, and, you know, certainly has moments of, of like, kind of like, you know, very, very low and very high as kind of the nature of what that, that work is like. And then just this past weekend, we ended up doing the inaugural 127 on US 127. I, I made the really smart shift, uh, right? So I am a PhD, so I am a little bit smarter. I, I did shift it from miles to kilometers because I figured that that would be much, much, much more enjoyable for me and anybody who would able to do it with me. Um, so we did 127 kilometers um, back and forth on the six and a half mile long bike trail. Um, it was actually really cool because that's just shy of 80 miles and. You know, we've got our cars and water bottles and a place to dump arm warmers or vests or whatever. Pretty much every 13 miles. And so we had some people that joined for just some of it, and people that joined for the whole thing. Um, It was really informal. Doug had planned a trip to uh, go visit his son, Uh, so unfortunately Doug couldn't couldn't join us for for that, which might have been one of, gosh, you've like participated in pretty much everything that I've ever put on since 2015, I guess now. But it was fun. So I, I look forward to more kind of silly idea rides uh like that i will definitely do the 127 on us 127 again um we did not spend as long at the alma brewing company as we did on our bikes but it it was kind of
1: close um it was close
0: (laughs) what currently gets you stoked on cycling
1: for me a full cyclocross season i know a lot of people were able to do that last year um but in where we're turning more to normalcy but i had some issues with my heart last year, and I did two events, um, made the trip all the way to Trek CX Cup, and was going to race, but the, I did the fun race the night before, just did one lap and I just was not feeling well. And fortunately I did not race because I ended up having to have two stents put in my heart. So people, you know, there's three things that affect your health. One, your your genetics, two, your activity level, and three, your, you know, what you eat and what you intake, uh, what your intake. Genetics, yeah, very bad in my family, so that wasn't good, I and I fooled myself with being very active, thinking, well, I'm okay, but my eating habits, you know, last maybe 10 years weren't so bad, but I, I ran a Burger King for 21 years, and I work in a restaurant still for the last you know, 16 years or 15 years. So some of my food choices aren't always the greatest, but I've gotten better. But you take all that damage that was done earlier in my life and that didn't help things out. So anyway, long story short, I'm looking forward to a full cyclocross season. I'm very stoked on that. I mean, I'll I'll echo
2: that this, this past year. Um, I got to race down in Cincinnati and I haven't been there. Uh, Alan made a delicious... I don't know what you called it, like an open or
0: backwards grilled cheese or something. It was a grilled cheese, but it had the cheese on the outside. So like, you know, you put your spray down and we put cheese and we put bread on top. And then so still had cheese on the inside. So I don't know. It was it was different. We'll leave it, it at was, that. It
2: was delicious is what it was. And I was pretty shattered after uh, not even racing that well. But um, yeah, so it I... was great to travel to a race again and again, like see see people um, ended up racing in Chicago, uh, twice last year. And that's, that's depending on where in Chicago, it's only about a four hour drive or so for, for us. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to going back and doing a a couple more. Um, I, I really love that scene, um, that, that, that they've got there. That's, that's, it's gorgeous. Um, and the other thing I think that's been really fun recently, um, my, my fork was broken on my mountain bike. And so I ended up riding, Uh, a single speed mountain bike and i've been doing single speed cross for a really long time but i'd never ridden a single speed mountain bike before and it it was really fun and ended up the the two mountain bike races i did this spring i both did kind of unexpectedly on a single speed um and it was similar to the first time i raced single speed on a on a cross bike which is you know this shift from like i don't know how i'm going to do this to then like well not only can i do this but it's it's actually really really fun so i'll do that some more um And But yeah, definitely cross,
1: because I mean, obviously, cross.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining me today, guys. Any last words? Thank you. Stay
1: safe out there. Thank you. Yes.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Stoked On Spokes podcast. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends about it. Check out our Patreon page for additional bonus content. And follow our Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on all the things we are working on. Until next time, just keep rolling.